Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 112. Today's episode is all about finding your purpose to claim your power. Self-love or self-awareness or starting with yourself, what that means is understanding how your body works, understanding some of the basic things that you need, understanding some of your trauma histories and your lack of development and some of the skill sets you need to improve. That's starting with yourself. We've got to also have relationship with other people. But if you don't know how your nervous system works and what you need, you're going to be a menace to be in a relationship with. Because what most people do is they use other people or food or whatever as their emotional regulation strategy. So if the only strategy you know to feel good and to regulate your emotional states is other people, you are setting up for a really painful life. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. Hi, friends and wild minds. This is our first episode of 2020. I am so excited. Can you believe it's been two years since Mind Love launched? It's crazy how time flies. Whether you're building your dream life and going for your goals like me, or you're watching everyone else do it, another year is gone. But this year is going to be different, right? Be honest, how many times have you said that and then you just kept doing the same old thing? Years go by, your vision board's hanging on the wall, taunting you, but you're not really getting much closer. And you start to think, maybe this is all just wishful thinking. A few months ago, I surveyed you all asking what your biggest challenge was when it comes to living your happiest life. And I got hundreds of responses back. Want to know what I found out? A bunch of you out there feel stuck. Why? Maybe you don't feel like you have a passion. Maybe you have too many interests. Maybe you're scared you'll pick the wrong thing or you'll get bored with it. Maybe you have an idea of what you want to do. You just don't know if you can make enough money with it. Well, when I send out a survey, I spend days, sometimes even weeks, going over all of your responses and trying to figure out the bigger themes, like what they all have in common. And I realized something. A whole lot of you feel stuck because you're not clear on your purpose or how it can replace your nine to five. And I gotta tell you, I can relate. About two years ago, I was sitting in the place that you are right now. I'd hear stories about people doing what they love and making a ton of money. And I felt like I didn't really have one big passion. Well, besides drinking wine, Avi. I had a lot of interests, but nothing I felt really obsessed with. Picking one kind of felt like picking a favorite child. The irony was I helped companies grow for a living, from marketing to monetization. But when it came to my own stuff, I was terrified of picking the wrong thing. What if I spent months trying to create something that wouldn't sell? Or what if I did create something awesome, but then I got bored of it? 
why would people even buy from me when there are so many other experts out there, maybe with more credentials or more experience than I had? I was stuck in this loop for years until one day I just couldn't take it anymore. I snapped. So I made a commitment to do things differently. Instead of focusing on what I didn't know or what I didn't have or how I wasn't qualified, I started to focus on what I did know, which actually turned out to be a lot when I finally let myself acknowledge it all. I created a clear strategy for myself, just as I did with dozens of startups and brands. And within six months, I was already speaking on stages, teaching other people to do what I did. And since then, I've helped hundreds of people create a more meaningful life. And now, just a little over two years later, my whole life is different. And I can't help but think, I am so glad I did not wait another year to take action. Once I finally got started, I felt unstoppable. And honestly, I look back and I think, why did I even let myself stay stuck for so long? But I know I've got to have compassion with it myself because first, it's hard to see your own crap. One of my favorite sayings is, it's hard to see the label from inside the bottle. It's hard to see your own situation when you're living it. Kind of like how it's so much easier to see that your friend is in a terrible relationship when you might be in one yourself. But something else was wrong too. I needed to find alignment first. You know that sweet spot where what you want to do is also what you're good at and what the world really needs? A funny thing happens when you really commit to something that feels purposeful and you actively do the work to make your dreams a reality. It's like the whole world conspires to make it happen. It has barely been two years, and like I said, my whole life is different. I have this amazing podcast that I'm so proud to have created, a tribe of amazing people like you. I coach people. I even speak around the country teaching other people how to do this for themselves. And you can do this too. You can figure out something that will get you excited to get out of bed in the morning. You can become financially independent. You don't have to rely on a nine to five that crushes your soul each day. And it doesn't have to take you a decade to do this. I could have easily waited another few years. And right now I'd still be unfulfilled working for someone else's dream. And regardless of what I chose, time flies, whether you are miserable or you're full of joy. So what if you had figured out your most fulfilling life path two years ago, and right now you were looking back on the last year, feeling so proud that you got started when you did, and being amazed at what you've accomplished? How different would that feel right now? If all this is hitting you hard and you're like, Melissa, I feel like you're speaking right to me right now, then this episode is for you. And I've got a surprise for you. To kick off 2020, I have a free gift for you. It's a free PDF ebook to help you get unstuck, find your purpose, and start creating a life that you really love. And you can get this freebie at mindlove.com purpose. This is going to blast through your mindset blocks so that you can finally start making progress to a life that you're really proud of. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but what if I find my purpose or I've already found my purpose? I don't have 10 years of digital marketing experience like you. Well, this is the really exciting part. If you are really serious about making 2020 your best year ever, I have a rare opportunity. Based on a ton of requests from you guys, I am taking applications to personally work with a handful of you to help you get clear on a purpose that is proven to be profitable. And together, we'll make a plan to achieve it. I promise to tell you more about it, but the first step is to get your free guide to finding your purpose. So to get it, go to mindlove.com purpose. 
Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And today is the perfect episode to go along with this topic. Our guest is Mastin Kipp. He's a speaker and number one best-selling author of Claim Your Power. He has been featured on the Emmy Award show, Super Soul Sunday. He's basically besties with Oprah, as far as I can tell. She even recognized him as a thought leader for the next generation. So this is the perfect episode for all of you who believe in the power of intention and goal setting, but you're starting to lose self-respect because you're not following through. So three key things we will learn are the most common thing that keep people stuck from living their purpose, why it's necessary to serve ourselves first, and how to identify the limiting beliefs that are holding you back. And now let's welcome Mastin Kip to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here today. Well, since your recent work is all about helping people find their purpose, I'm curious what led you to finding yours. It's something that I've always sort of had. It was more unconscious at first. What I was doing was just more kind of like gut instinct. But as I kind of evolved and grew and got into trouble with drugs or women or alcohol or food or whatever, and was trying to get better about stuff, right? I started to you know, dabble on things. And it was actually, I think, my buddy Simon Sinek, who wrote a book, Start With Why, a bunch of other books, many, 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 many years ago, helped me figure out my earliest and happiest memories and to go from that place. And I was like, oh, this dude is on to something, you know? Wow. And that was sort of the, the, the seed that started this whole thing. I had like an hour call with Simon where he walked me through all that stuff. That was really a big part of that for me. Throughout your book, you really combine the topics of purpose and power. So how are purpose and power related and what really is our power? The definition of power that I like to use is your ability to essentially make your dreams or your, achieve your goals or make your dreams real, essentially. And so how much power you have is correlated to, if you have an idea, how fast can you bring it into manifestation? And so that's kind of how I like to think about uh, what power is. Purpose is what fuels your ability to have power. Because when you have purpose and something that's larger than yourself, you can make things happen faster. And in the book, I define purpose as an emotional state because the reason why we want to achieve goals is because there's an emotional payoff for that. So when we get really clear on how I want to feel, what I got to do to feel that way, and how I can impact others as well. And then what's my compelling reason why my, you know, my children, parents, mission, et cetera, prove the naysayers wrong. All that helps us have a lot more power to get stuff done and to make things real. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And that was one of the things that really stood out to me about the way you were presenting Finding Purpose compared to a lot of other things that I've read. Oh, cool. And you really focused on the difference between the head model and the heart model. Can you explain what you meant by this? Yeah, things? and I, I'm glad you asked because if I were to write the book again, <laughs> I would definitely say it differently. Because what I would say is there's sort of the head model or the mentalizing, which is the understanding of things. And then there's the somatic or the embodiment. And so the heart model is about somatic embodiment, which is like, do I feel it in my body? Because if you say something like, hey, I know what to do, but I'm not doing it. What you're basically saying is it's in my head, but I don't have my heart on board or it's in my mentalized part of my brain, but my nervous system and my subcortical nervous system isn't on board. And we got to get the somatics on board, the body, the nervous system, the viscera, like all the stuff below the neck. When that stuff is lined up, it's way easier to get things done. And a lot of personal development and mental health protocols focus primarily on more mentalization, cortical, brain, conceptualization concepts. And we want to focus more on an embodiment. 
Yeah, it's like there's so many affirmations or positive thinking ideas. And I remember in the beginning of my journey trying to say these things, but I just didn't believe them. It felt in my head like everyone was faking it. <laughs> you know, it's like, how are they just overriding what they've constantly been doing? And so you have had to start at the emotional level first. So for That's you, right. how do you focus on finding those emotions that are driving your current behavior? Well, in the book, Claim Your Power, I talk a lot about how to do it. But basically, at a very high level, the functional coaching model, I create a type of coaching called functional coaching. We take a sort of a holistic, integrated root cause approach to helping people achieve goals. And if you look at it, we have a behavior that we want to change. So maybe it's you know drinking wine at night. And some people will just say, do the opposite of that. And we know that doesn't work so well. So then below the behavior is a story, like I deserve it. So some people will say, well, change the story, change your life or change the thinking, change your life. It doesn't work that well long-term because I can say, well, I'm okay, I'm sober or whatever, but we tend to just keep getting stressed out and we tend to drink or consume sugar or whatever the thing is that we tend to do that's hard to stop. So the reason why is below the story is an emotional state. And the emotional state is usually like stress, anxiety, depression, loneliness, something like that. And below the emotion is a whole body neural expectancy or belief that says something like, no one can support me or no one is supporting me. And for each person, it might be different what that belief is, but we got that belief from something that happened in the past. So it's going to be really hard to get behavior change without addressing what's happening in your body based on the past and contextualizing in a way that says, hey, you're doing your best job coping right now. And you're missing a skill set, which is how to feel supported. Let's help you get to that place. And so we don't negate or invalidate people's experiences. We validate them and help them build the skills that they're missing. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And it's interesting, too, because I think so often so many of us have learned to override our emotions, whether it's because parents or teachers or whatever told us to be quieter with them or that they weren't valid. And for a long time, I felt really bad about my emotions. Like I thought my emotions were too big. And so I wasn't realizing that that emotion is actually the way my body's speaking to me and guiding me in a way. And another right. thing that really stood out to me about your message that I have been thinking for a long time and I've heard is that so many different self-development avenues teach people that fear is the opposite of love. But then they also tell you, if it scares you, that's your sign that you're supposed to do it. It's know, really right? funny because I just started journaling about this a couple of months ago. And then you brought up that it's one of the greatest superstitions in the new age. So how yeah. is fear in your eyes actually beneficial? So when you look at like spiritual advice, okay, you could say that it's a more transpersonal advice, meaning like it's beyond your own personality. It's like this larger perspective, right? And a lot of times, like especially you'll hear people maybe had a near-death experience and realize that everything's love and that fear isn't true or all this type of stuff. But you got to understand that when someone's having that experience of a near-death experience or out-of-body experience or they're on psychedelics or whatever, right? Like they're not really in their day-to-day -day body, right? They're maybe in a more maybe a spiritual perspective or a soul perspective, right? So from that perspective, sure, it's only love. But when you descend back down into the body, you have an amygdala, nervous system, you have a limbic system, you have all the subcortical brainstem. I mean, so many things, sympathetic nervous system, right? Like you have this whole body meat sack that's responding all the time to uncertainty. 
So from a spiritual perspective, maybe fear isn't true, but from the body perspective, it is. And I think the fastest way to access the spirit is to befriend your body, not try to check out from it. And I think a lot of times spirituality is about trying to have an out-of-body experience. And I think the trauma work is about having an in-the-body experience. And so when we look at like what is fear, anxiety, et cetera, it's an appropriate response to life based on your history. So even psychiatrists and psychologists might call somebody psychotic or neurotic in the context. And psychosis, someone who's in psychosis, means they're they're disconnected from reality. Well, that's only from the practitioner's perspective. Because when someone is having psychosis or they're having anxiety, from their perspective, what they're experiencing is very real. And so we want to stop trying to invalidate people's experiences and we want to start to validate, yes, you're feeling this way. That makes a lot of sense why you're feeling that way based on what happened to you and help them have more acknowledgement and acceptance, which ironically allows us to change it faster. (laughs) (laughs) So if we do acknowledge that, okay, this is something that happened to me that then created this fear inside me that's now holding me back from moving forward. What are those first steps to beginning to change it? And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. So if we do acknowledge that, okay, this is something that happened to me that then created this fear inside me that's now holding me back from moving forward. What are those first steps to beginning to change it? Well, a lot of times just the acknowledgement can be feel like so relieving for people because (laughs) we spend so much time trying to invalidate our responses that your nervous system might say, whoa, 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 what? You're acknowledging this? Come on, what's up here, right? But it can be very relieving to be able to go through that process. Once you start to acknowledge it, Then you start to realize like, hey, okay, what happened in your history to get you to believe this? And you can unpack that a little bit. And we can start to realize that that's not always the case. But we can also start to realize, hey, based on your history, this is the skill set 
that you created and adapted. So everything you've done up until now has been within the context of your current skill sets. We need to learn something new, a new skill set. Like maybe you got really good at handling your life all by yourself. And now it's time to learn the skill set of how to rely and count on other people. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That could be a missing skill set. And when you contextualize it in that way, it takes a lot of the shame, a lot of the guilt out of it. And it actually starts to solve the real problem. And we can actually start to help you build the skill set that's missing. And people realize I'm just missing a skill set. Like there's nothing wrong with me. It's a big game changer for them. Yeah, I think a lot of times we have something in our head that we know holds us back, but before we actually take the time to name it, it feels so much bigger than it is. And so for me, even just writing it down, I'm like, oh, that was that big, ugly thing. But written down, it's like, oh, well, that's completely manageable. (laughs) And then it almost feels ridiculous that it's holding on for so long. That's right. It's a beautiful place to get to. So with all of the people that you've worked with, what do you think the most common thing is that keeps people stuck from living their true purpose? Their relationship with their mother. Ooh, interesting. Tell me more about that. <laughs> well, Freud said it best. You know, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. And this isn't like a time to like blame mom for everything. But when we look at how human beings form attachment, relationships, bonds, our first attachment and relationship is to our mother. And the science now shows that Babies can intuit the environment they're being born into. So if your mom wasn't emotionally available, then that causes all kinds of problems. In fact, a lot of mental health issues start with emotional maternal withdrawal. So the mother is not emotionally available. And that's a really important thing to understand. So how we attach, how we relate typically to that first attachment starts to inform how we perceive the universe, right? If we cried out and mom didn't come, that's where unworthiness starts, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm crying out and someone's not coming. It must be me, right? And so that's where it all really begins. And so when we start to do the the maternal work with people, whoa, it's so powerful. So you would not be an advocate of the self-soothe method. (laughs) No, I think self-soothe is cool. But to me, like self-soothe, self-care, coping skills, that type of stuff, it's like if you have this pressure cooker that's like very intense and all this pressure, right? That's like taking the top off and calming it down for a second. And what we're talking about is like turning the heat off. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So when people's relationships with their mother really start to affect how they're moving forward, do you think it's as simple as just identifying that pattern that you had with your mother that helps you to step away from that? Or is there more healing or more direct healing to those pain points that needs to be done? Yeah. So so healing, what we're talking about is an attachment move. Okay. And we all have different, like my mom never hit me, loves me like crazy. She was, had a broken back before I was born. The first 10 or 15 years of my life was in and out of hospitals most of the time, not present. So the unintentional consequence of that was unintentional emotional neglect, right? And that has an impact on me that played itself out with all of my addictions and stuff in my early twenties and being a completely unmanageable teenager and all kinds of stuff. And I'm, I'm working on that out. But The thing about attachment wounding is that it's not like you take an antibiotic and then it goes away, right? Like trauma attachment is more like a viral infection and viruses never really go away. They just go dormant and they kind of rear their heads in moments of stress. And what happens is we have these neural pathways that are built in our system that don't go away if we build new ones with new habits. They just tend to atrophy, but they never go away. So that's why, for example, Philip Seymour Hoffman can be sober for 20 years and then die of an overdose, right? Because the pathways are still there. So it's more about understanding 
how do I cope in the past? What am I trying to give myself the love, the care, the nurturing, the dopamine, the oxytocin, the serotonin, like whatever it is I'm trying to get. And then building new habits to supply that to myself and trying to remain aware of all the old stuff that I used to default back to. And we will default back, but the goal is to, to default back in a like less and to have it be less intense and to recover quicker and all that type of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And as somebody who has dealt with my own addictions for a really long time, including a 10-year battle with bulimia, I just feel so connected to that type of thing because it's true. It's like, what was I really needing to feel in all of those moments that I ended up binging and purging until I was in pain all day? It was an emotion. It wasn't that I was hungry. (laughs) Of course not. I was actually broke half the time trying to figure out ways to get more food. So it goes so much deeper than that, just that surface level of, oh, I tend to overeat or whatever. And that is the same for anybody that's somehow indulging in a negative pattern, whether or not they relate it to an addiction. Am I getting that right? Yes. And the other thing about trauma is that trauma isn't just what happened to us. It's what happened in our body as a result of what happened to us, right? So (laughs) if we talk about eating for for, for a moment, right? So at first, I have a coping mechanism with cinnamon because that's what was like, that was cinnamon and sugar was like my mom growing up. So what my dad would make me for breakfast. Anytime I get around that, like my brain gets hijacked like super fast, right? And when that was like running the show, I didn't know, know better. That also dysregulated insulin, glucose, leptin, ghrelin, like all the different hormones. So we look at someone who's like always hungry. Well, maybe that started because there was a trauma or attachment trauma, right? But now it's also dysregulated ghrelin and leptin, which will make you hungry no matter what. So <laughs> we want to make sure that we're not just looking at just the emotional pieces, but we're also looking at the holistic approach of like, what did that do to my hormone levels? What did that do to my brain? What did that do to my gut? And that's why we want to take a holistic approach in healing because I used to binge and purge a lot. And you better believe my ghrelin levels and leptin levels, which determine how hungry I am, way dysregulated. So we want to try to bring all that stuff back into balance. And so we want to look at the emotional piece. We want to look at the object relation, like what happened with mom or dad or exes and all type of stuff, trauma history, but also what's the hormonal piece and what's happening in the rest of my body. It's, it's, It's a holistic approach and it's a lot of work, but it works. Yeah. So as we're getting clear on all of the things that we've currently been doing, all of our past issues, I found that so many people, though, don't actually have any clarity on their purpose in order to move into a new direction. And so when you're sitting there trying to get all this clarity, then like, where does that leave you? Because you're shedding so many of your old patterns and who you were before, but you don't know who you're stepping into. So how do you start to get clarity on that purpose? Clarity is the byproduct of taking action. So in my business trainings, one of the things, you know, because I teach a lot of practitioners, you know, how to build a business and, you know, our approach is trauma-informed and all that jazz. And so like in that process, they ask questions like, what should I say on social media? Or am I qualified to coach? Or who am I supposed to work with? Or what's my niche? Or all these different things, right? And sometimes you need what's called implementation data before you can answer those questions. And implementation data means like, hey, I'm going to go implement and try some stuff out and experiment, not really know what I'm doing, get some feedback, and then decide. So as an example, like when people say, I don't know what type of clients to work with, well, we help them try to figure out a starter idea. They go get clients, they work with clients, and they say something like, oh, I'm a relationship coach, and I thought I'd be working with couples. 
I was sorry, I thought I'd be working with women to help them become, you know, get into a relationship. But I realized I'm actually working with couples and mostly the women to help them see if they want to stay or leave. So now you have more information about the type of clarity you're seeking, but you just can't sit around in your room by yourself trying to get a download of what it's all going to be ahead of time. Like you got to implement and see what happens. And that's how you get clarity. <laughs> you can't <laughs> just guess ahead of time. Like no business plan is ever accurate. Yes, for sure. And I can totally attest to that. It's like for the longest time, I wanted to overthink everything and uh, make sure it's all perfect before I launched. But really what that just ended up doing was spiraling more and more fear because the only evidence that I was building was that I hadn't yet started. Exactly. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, well, this is where I'm going to be forever because I haven't proven to myself that I can do anything different. So it um, ends up being this like cyclone of holding you back. Exactly. And the other thing is, is that the nervous system is an evidence-based system. It needs proof. <laughs> so if you're not giving it proof, it's going to stay stuck too. So that's really brilliant what you just said, actually. I also noticed that in a lot of your activities within your book, you make sure to lay out most of the areas of our lives, like romance and health and wellness and business and spiritual. So do you believe that it would be really difficult to thrive in one area if other areas were held back? Or why is it so important to find balance to all of the areas at the same time? So it is possible, I think, to thrive in certain areas, but the goal is emotional regulation. And when you bring emotional regulation to your life, you're going to improve every area of your life. So that's what the Claimer Power book is really all about, is how to get emotionally regulated. Because if you improve one area, you will improve the other areas. That being said, there's no arrival point of balance where you're going to be like, hey, it's all good because maybe your health and wellness is crushing it, but then your finances dip and then you focus on your finances, but then your health and wellness dips. And then the whole time you've got your health and wellness going and your finances going, but now your relationships in a little bit of a dip, right? Like that's just kind of how it goes. So the goal is to be able to manage everything better and for the highs to get higher and for the lows to get higher. But it's a very dynamic process. It's not like there's an arrival point, but if you can focus on the emotional regulation, then I think you'll get everything else to fall into place because if you know how to influence your body to feel how you want to feel, well, that's the master lesson of life. <laughs> the exercise that I loved the most was the one where you... This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove.
The exercise that I loved the most was the one where you got in touch with your primary emotions. And so you listed your happiest memories. The gist of it was the happiest memories throughout your life. And then what emotions came to mind and then you had a whole process of drilling down the top two that you're trying to feel at any moment. And I got so much clarity on that because the top two emotions weren't necessarily ones that I understood beforehand that I was striving towards, which might have deregulated the way I was setting goals before, where I might have been seeking an emotion that seemed like something I should search for, like just joy, when really it was about excitement or whatever it, it was. Have you found a lot that that activity has helped people gain a clarity around an emotion that they weren't necessarily affecting or expecting to feel? Oh yeah. All the time. (laughs) Yeah. Because I don't meet a lot of people who are like, man, I am an expert in my emotional states, my emotional targets and the behaviors associated with feeling the way that I want to feel in a way that makes my life better, not worse. Like I don't really meet people like that, you know, (laughs) like I'm not even like that. You know, it's, it's a work in progress always. So yeah. And the other thing is, is that, you know, what you're talking about is sort of affect awareness. Affect is, like data from the body to the brain and and a big chunk of data from the body to the brain is is obviously emotional data. So how we want to feel. So a lot of people don't have affect awareness where they're like aware of how they feel. In fact, there's a whole term called alexithymia where it's basically like you're not in touch with your emotions, right? So people who cut or people who are kind of numb or avoidant tend to have that type of stuff. And it's a shocker to them that they even have emotions. (laughs) You know, they're like, me have feelings? What? Like it's a (laughs) a big deal. Yeah, I felt the same way, especially overriding so many of my body's signals. And one example of this is that my whole life, I've called myself a thrill seeker. I'm even a certified skydiver. I love that deep thrill. But the more I found clarity on my purpose and my values, the less I want that. And it was that emotion activities of uncovering my primary emotions that gave me some insight into why that is. And it's because before I used to seek the thrills, not just because I liked them, I still like them, but because it was another form of escaping for me. If I could find a way to feel something so big where I'm falling from the sky, then all of a sudden, all of my other problems were gone. In that moment, I wasn't bulimic. I wasn't depressed, whatever it had to be. And so it's just funny that I spent all this money getting certified and I haven't wanted to go ever since. (laughs) Well, and I think sometimes when you look at like, why do we have to go to such extremes to be able to feel something, right? Um, the answer is because we've overridden our body's, you know, fight or flight response so many times that we need a big stressful thing to help us feel something, right? And why that's a good thing is like, it probably makes you a great entrepreneur. You probably don't get bothered by stuff that makes certain people like really stressed out. And that can be a really good thing. It's harder when you're just trying to do day-to-day stuff. <laughs> it's like it's hard to find excitement and meaning in the day-to-day mundane things, but it's absolutely possible. But there's actually a, a big gift in that as well. Yeah, there is, because I can relate to that. I've never really thought of it that way. For a long time, I've said, I don't know if I get stressed like other people. Like I know that I'm yeah. stressed, but I don't handle it in the same ways. So that's a good point for those people that It's so easy to find the things that, oh, yeah, I struggled with that and beat ourselves up for it. But I feel like with almost everything, you can find the gift in it and then learn to manage the downsides. Definitely. Definitely. And if you can do it with, you know, emotional awareness, intelligence and fitness, you'll be successful a lot faster and bounce back quicker, too. 
So another thing you teach is that we need to start to serve ourselves first. And I love this because it goes a lot in line with my message. But so many other people are used to serving others first. And my dear friend Sarah Stewart even just did this long post about how even in the self-love aspect of teachings or coaches, people are always like, well, love yourself because then you'll show up for others better. And we're so used to still putting others as the focus, even when we're trying to teach people to turn inward, that it's kind of like we never really get in touch with how important it is to serve ourselves first. So why to you is it so important to start with ourselves? Well, first of all, I'm not against relationships. <laughs> like I'm all for it. And the other thing is, is that for to have like mental health, like we have to co-regulate, right? We need each other. And there's no such thing as a happy person who's isolated by themselves long term. It doesn't really work that well. And the other thing is, is that self-love can also be used as a way to avoid relationship too, right? So we have to start to define like what self-love is. So self-love or self-awareness or starting with yourself, what that means is understanding how your body works understanding some of the basic things that you need, understanding some of your trauma histories and your lack of development and some of the skill sets you need to improve. That's starting with yourself. But we've got to also have relationship with other people. They just have to be higher quality people typically. And sometimes our partners can love us more than we can love ourselves. But if you don't know how your nervous system works and what you need, you're going to be a menace to be in a relationship with for sure. Because what most people do is they use other people or food or whatever as their emotional regulation strategy. So if the only strategy you know to feel good and to regulate your emotional states is other people, you are just setting up for a really painful life. <laughs> and so we want to have some self-awareness to say, hey, this is how my nervous system works. These are the dials. This is how I work. This is how I operate. I'm operating my own self. And I'm going to choose to operate with you as well so that we can make one plus one is 11. And that's a really important place to be. There's no arrival point where like now I love myself enough to be in a relationship. That doesn't exist. But we want to be able to have some self-awareness. And so when people are in relationships, they're over giving all the time and giving, 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 never getting anything back. It's because it's safer for them to not have needs. And so we also have to start to realize, wow, like it was not safe for me as a kid to have needs how can I make it safe for me to have needs now? And how would that change things? It's a big journey that it starts to incite for people. It's a, a big, big journey. When you say it's not safe for someone to have needs, I'm reminded of, I was just telling somebody how for a really long time when I was in my 20s, I would never ask anybody for anything. Like I would be amazed by people saying, oh, I'm going to help this person move or I'm going to pick this person up from the airport. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, they actually had the nerve to ask you? And I feel like that's what you mean by saying it's not safe to have needs because, or maybe you let me know, because for me, I came to the conclusion that I was mostly nervous that people wouldn't say yes. And it was too, if I asked, I was opening the door to be rejected and feeling like I wasn't worth somebody helping me. Is that what you mean by it's not safe to have needs? Yes, exactly. A lot of times what happens is we get all these different messages in childhood that it's not safe for me to speak up, children to be seen and not heard, different parental dynamics where we basically learn don't speak up, right? And a lot of times it also means, like, oh, no one in my family actually is taking care of anything. I'm going to take care of it because no one else is taking care of it. That's called being parentified. And so if you're parentified, 
um, has not been safe for you to have needs because you didn't grow up with a protector who could take care of you, essentially. And so it's a really big deal when people start to realize this and start to prioritize what they need. It takes a lot of time to be able to get there, but you can, and it takes some compassion as well. But if no one ever had your back and expressing what you need means you have to be vulnerable to let someone have your back, like that's not something you're just going to offer up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting to me too, because so many of the lessons are really about finding the balance. And a couple of the things are between the trauma of our past and actually identifying with that. And I've seen a lot of people too, where they use that trauma of the past and they identify with it so much that they hold on to that story or not addressing it at all and just trying to move forward. And then all these traumas are subconsciously holding you back. How do you find that balance to know how long to look at it and when you're actually ready to let it go? Yeah. um that's lived. <laughs> it's not something that you can do ahead of time. Like a lot of trauma work, you were traumatized mostly through relationships, right? And so like it's relationships are going to help heal us. And there's no plan ahead of time for that. It's got to be guided usually with a mentor or a really smart therapist or something like that. But these types of things are lived because we can't plan ahead, if that makes any sense on these things. We have to live it and kind of go with the flow and navigate these things as they come up. That's why it's an adventure, right? It's something that you can't predetermine, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing I realized that people kind of have trouble balancing is the stuff with the ego. We're taught all the time to drop the ego or the ego gets in the way. But then we're also taught to focus on ourselves first and get really in touch with our needs and to talk ourselves up and to know our worth. So where is that balance for you? I think it's also lived. Like I think that, especially in relationships, Whatever I didn't get as a kid and was missing and whatever my partner didn't get as a kid and is missing is implicit in our nervous system. So what that means is it's not expressed and I'm not aware of it. And a lot of times it can only come up. A lot of people don't know what they need until they're complaining or arguing about not having it. So you might ask somebody, what do you need in a relationship? They go, I have no idea. Half an hour later, they're yelling at their partner. You're never present. It's like, oh, I need presents right? Like, what does that mean? Let's break that down. So if we can get into relationships where we're able to more consciously navigate fights and disagreements and have them be avenues for learning about ourselves, that's how we learn. That's how we learn. And we can figure some of it out with a coach or therapist ahead of time. But again, it's lived in relationship over time. So what I liked about that example you just used is that you identified a situation where one person kind of blew up and it might be a moment in their life that they were looking back on and they're like, oh, why did I have to handle it that way? But instead of beating yourself up, you used it, at least in the example, as a moment of, oh, that's what I really need. So I know how many of us tend to beat ourselves up immediately after we act out of character, who we want to be. And so Is that a process that you use to kind of turn that back around and instead of beating yourself up, you can find the point of growth? So um, smart couples or smart people who are in relationship with other smart people and have help and support use their dysregulated moments, their fights and stuff like that as learning opportunities. Now, not necessarily in the moment, because if you look at the latest neuroscience, polyvagal theory, 
we now know that anybody who wishes that they can't, they will never get triggered just are not going to win. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because we get triggered before we know we're triggered. We're not aware of it. And so it's more about when you notice that you're triggered, how fast do you catch yourself? How familiar is that? And what can you do about it to be able to you know, calm that part of yourself? That's a process, right? And it, you get to a point where you try some stuff out, it doesn't work, or maybe you try it out, it works a little bit, but then one partner kind of gets off the rails or whatever, and you just kind of work through the process. So if you have a committed partner and you're not in getting abuse or whatever, you got to stay together through the tension of figuring this stuff out. And, and that's what's true is that if you look at couples who are around for decades, 90 years, how do you stay together for 90 years? And the answer is we don't leave, right? Now, if you're, again, if it's abuse, or whatever, yes, but there will be tension in relationships and you have to learn how to navigate that so that you can figure out how to be different together. Yes. Figure out how to be different together. I was just thinking back to, you know, when you're young and you just hear stuff like people never change or once a cheater, always the cheater or the opposite. He changed or she changed. People change if they want to change. People change if they're motivated to change. And if they are, that can happen pretty quickly. If I really believed that people couldn't change, then I would have had no hope for my future at a lot of different points in my life. And so to be on a journey with somebody else who isn't expecting you to stay the same or who isn't trying to change you to fit their desires or to fit what they want in a person is so, so important. It's almost like finding purpose together and finding purpose separately. But I want to kind of clear the air of what purpose really is, because I feel like so many people have so much confusion about it. So how would you define purpose and what do you think people get wrong about it? The idea of purpose, especially in the Claiming Power book, is it's an emotional state. So we want to figure out how you want to feel. And then we want to start to set goals that will help you feel that way. Eat food that will help you feel that way, right? Like that's what we want to start to do. Again, it's a process. It's not something that you're going to have figured out. And the other thing is, Purpose is something that you never quite know because it's something that's, again, lived and discovered. And then once you think you found it, it, you're evolving and changing. But if you can keep the mindset that your target is an emotional target that you're trying to hit, whether or not it's a business or a person or a child or a relationship, whatever, if you know it's an emotional state, then you do know your purpose is. You absolutely do. You may not know how to express it, right? But you can know what your purpose is for sure. So basically, because you're not chasing this big lofty goal of, oh, I want to be president of the United States or I want to have this large seven-figure company, and instead you're focusing on the feeling, the feeling is something that you can obtain right now. And as you step into that feeling, you're more likely to unlock more things that lead to that feeling. So you're basically following your own emotional breadcrumbs. Is that right? That's right. And somatic wisdom right? Your body wisdom, you're following that. And it's a really beautiful thing to be able to do. So not knowing what your purpose is, I think what you're really trying to say is maybe I don't know what next business to start, or I don't know you know, what my career is going to be, which is answerable if you start to realize, well, how do I want to feel? <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's starting with yourself, right? Because some people are going to say, well, I'm going to do what my parents said, or I'm going to do what somebody else said, or I'm going to go query a bunch of people and ask them what they all think. Right. And what I really want to do is figure out, well, what do I want? And that's a process. 
That's so interesting because I remember sitting on the floor in a house in Big Bear trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and start with why was one of those <laughs> books that really started yeah. to help me. Yeah, Simon's a genius. Another thing I feel is important to touch on, especially because I know that so many women suffer from this, but you know, everybody really does. And it's what you call permission syndrome. It's that the belief that we need someone else's permission to be big or to take the next step. Where do you think that comes from and why is it so common in all of us? Well, I think it's just how we're raised. I think it's the environment. I think we live in a patriarchal society that raises people to seek permission from powerful men. I think that's a big deal. That could be from mom too, but you know, there's very, I mean, God, kids still have to ask permission to go to the bathroom. I mean, that's ridiculous. So I think that there's a lot of that in it. And I also think that we, as mammals, we link up permission with staying in the tribe and not being exercised from the tribe and being all alone. Because when we're isolated and all alone, you know, we're prey in the natural world, right? We're stronger together. And so I think there's a lot of like really primal stuff, the system and the environment that we have right now is it's all sort of pushed that way. So it's a very radical thing to kind of not get permission. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a big deal. I don't think it means that you just kind of like look at the people that your family or whatever, and you go, yeah, fuck you guys. Yeah, I think there can be a really generative way to do it. You're able to you know, have a little bit more maturity and care and love and respect in that process. But I think it's very primal for us. Very, very primal. So it's easy to understand the logic around it. But as we learned earlier, what really starts to build our habits and patterns are when we take the actions. So what do we have to do to start to change our natural inclination or our habit from seeking outside of ourselves for permission and transform that into trusting ourselves yeah. and really knowing our own needs and desires and going for it. Great question. And before I answer, I'm going to do one caveat. Okay. So if you're in a relationship and you're thinking, and let's just say you own a home with your partner, right? And you're thinking to yourself, I don't need my partner's permission to go buy another house, right? <laughs> We're not talking about obvious equilateral decisions that are supposed to be made between people, okay? We're talking about stuff that's really like up to the individual to decide, like I wanna buy this coaching program and I'm not gonna go ask my partner for permission because I want to do this for me, right? That's the type of stuff we're talking about. And so, or I'm gonna start the business or whatever. And so in the Claim Your Power book, like I talk a lot about this, but we start to actually write it out and look at like, hey, like what permission do you wish you would get from whom? And also, for example, with your partner, if you're worried about not getting their permission, why? Maybe you did buy 10 other courses and nothing happened. So maybe you got to make a promise to yourself and your partner, this is the time I'm going to really do it, right? Because maybe there's a valid reason for it. But at the end of the day, you want to make decisions with the part of yourself that you want to see brought forward. And it, instead of asking for permission, it's really important to request support in a decision that you're making. Because then you get to decide, I'm making this decision, will you support me? Which is very different than, can I have your permission to make this decision? Very different thing. And again, it's not the obvious unilateral, I'm sorry, equilateral decisions that partners make. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I remember being sold at some event and the person just kept telling me, well, is your first thought that you need to call your husband? If it is, you're doing something wrong. And I'm like, well, that is not very, <laughs> that's not true. If my husband came home and just spent $10,000 on something, I would be pretty upset. But you're right. If you can get together and actually find the support and talk about 
what is this going to mean for you? What action are you going to take based on this thing? How is this going to change our lives? Where do each one of us needs to show up in order for this to happen? It's a completely different conversation than just going full steam ahead on something that you might not even believe in enough to share that experience, which is why you're having such a hard time asking for that. I do sales. And a big part of sales is coaching people through, like, for example, partner objections, right? But the thing is, every situation is different. I've worked with people who one of the partners who you know, wants to work with us is being physically abused by a partner, and they want to ask that person for permission. And we've had to coach them through, hey, probably not a good idea to do that. Right now, that's a very different situation than a well-regulated couple who's agreed, you know what, any decisions over $10,000 we'll make together, very different context. So we want to make sure that we're in the right context. And by the end of the day, if there's something that you want to do, you never want to ask your partner for permission. You want to ask your partner for support because your partner's not your keeper, even if they're your soulmate, right? It sounds like, hey, this is really important to me. Can you help support me in this? Right. And that's a very different thing than, hey, can I do this? Very, very different. Right. Especially because, unfortunately, there are a lot of relationships out there where one partner is keeping the other person small. One of my closest friends just got out of a very toxic relationship. And so now a lot of the things she couldn't see while she was in it, she's having these revelations months and months later, like, oh my gosh. And so much of what he was doing was trying to keep her small. So if they were in a situation where they did actually live together and she was taking these steps to change her life, he wouldn't have shown that support. So it's important to be in touch with yourself enough and your own own worth and value enough to be able to see that type of toxic pattern as well. That's right. That's right. hundred percent. Yes. And again, it's all contextual, right? Because if someone's in a toxic relationship or an abusive relationship, it's a very different context than if someone's in a, just a sort of a standard relationship, right? But sometimes also people defer what they should be deciding for themselves to their partner, right? Like, <laughs> and that's not fair. It's not fair to like only do something if you think your partner's cool with it. Because like in coupleship, there will be things that you do differently and that that difference is very healthy. Navigating that difference can be very healthy too. So it's all very has to be the right context. Yeah. And you know, what I have realized also is there are a lot of situations in my own relationship where my husband and I will come together and He'll say like, okay, well, this is a big step I might take. It might cost a lot of money, a lot of time, whatever it is. And there are times where I realize my own limitations enough to say, well, I don't know if I'm the best person to ask right now because this is one of the biggest fears that hold me back that I normally come to you (laughs) to ask to coach me out of it. And so realizing that too, like, what do you usually struggle with? And are you not the right person to give that kind of support? Or should you give your support (laughs) in a way that says, hey, I'm going to let you take the reins on this one because this is where I tense up. And that could be a really healthy way to get help each other get in touch with your own boundaries and the things helping work through those things as well. Yeah. I also think sometimes, I don't know about you, but for me, at least, I don't want to be my partner's coach. Like, like I want to be her partner. And so I've resigned as that ever being that for her. But what I do do is I encourage her, which is the difference to me is coaching is here's what to do. And encouragement is, girl, you've got this and I'm here with you and you're going to crush it. And I think when I take that stance, it's a little bit easier too, because I can encourage people through all kinds of shit that I don't know about. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I think that can be a really powerful experience uh, to be able to you know set people up in that way. Yeah. And I love that because it also helps your partner develop the self-trust she needs instead of always having to have that coaching session from somebody else. It's like starting to finally integrate into the self-coaching. So I love that tip. And for listeners who are resonating with this conversation and want to learn more about you and claiming their power, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? Oh, yeah. So, well, if you go to claimyourpowerbook.com, you can grab the book, but there's also a free, completely free 40-day coaching journey along with it. And I decided to do that because if you look at the data on people who complete books, it's pretty low. But people, a lot of people are completing the book because I do like little videos over 40 days that you can consume stuff and get the most important stuff. And it helps you complete it, which is you know super helpful. And that's over at claimyourpowerbook.com. And then just at Mastin Kip on all the stuff. So Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, MastinKip.com, TikTok, all that stuff is where I am. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 112. And for those of you that are struggling to find your purpose or make money from it, and you want 2020 to be the year that everything finally changes for you, don't forget to download your free gift, The Five Secrets to Getting Unstuck, Finding Your Purpose, and Creating a Life You Really Love. You can get that at mindlove.com slash purpose. And for those of you that are really serious about making this your best year ever, you can follow the steps after the download to apply to personally work with me. We're going to get clear on a purpose that's proven to be profitable, and together we're going to make a plan to achieve it. I can't wait to hear from you, and I hope your 2020 is going so amazing so far. A few other reminders, you can also get daily inspirational emails right to your inbox so that you wake up on the right side of the bed every single day. Just sign up at mindlove.com or text MORNING to 444-999. And for more inspiration throughout the week, follow me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to know more about the program, you can reach out to me there. And I love answering your questions and getting to know all of you deeper because that's how I make Mind Love awesome is by talking to all of you. So don't hesitate to reach out. So here's to making 2020 your best year ever. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.